Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time in January. We're really excited to be together for our study this season. Uh, we're diving once again into a New Testament letter, First Peter. I don't know the last time you read First Peter. It had been a while for me. Um, First Peter is five chapters long, and we will be uh, studying it through nine sessions, nine studies. Um, over, actually, I need, is there a, can I have a schedule? How many weeks do we have? Total? I didn't count them up. I meant to do that. Anyway, over the number of weeks we have, we will take nine of those to work on uh, five chapters of First Peter, along with some space for um, Lectio Divina, um, Contemplative, Solitude, Morning Apart, and small group specials where we can fellowship together. So we hope to have some spaciousness to this study again, as we did with Colossians, um, as we take shorter sections and kind of linger over them to understand um, and incorporate this these words from Scripture, God's Word, into our lives. So as we begin, we're going to do a little introduction. Uh, I'm going to give you some background to begin with, kind of going off what was in the introduction of our study guide, the questions that she addresses there. Uh, so first, let's begin with who wrote it. Well, general consensus is Peter wrote it. Uh, as uh, named in the very first opening verse, Peter, an apostle of Jesus. Um, so this is Jesus Peter, right? Peter, Peter, the disciple who Jesus calls the rock, who was, um, that Jesus said he would build his church upon him. And so we have lots of stories about Peter in the Gospels, don't we? He's impulsive. He's charismatic. Um, he lives from his heart. Um, and we see through the Gospels his sort of um, journeying with Jesus, uh, his uh, denial of Jesus, and then really a conversion experience when Jesus um, is resurrected and he meets the crucified risen Lord. And we see in Acts this leader of the church who grows and develops in his understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. And so this is one of his letters to the churches that he was shepherding, a group of churches that he was shepherding. When was it written? First Peter was probably written between AD 62 and 63 during the reign of Emperor Nero. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, if you're familiar with church history, you'll uh, maybe remember that Nero was the emperor who began the first great persecution of the church. So, uh, this letter was probably written a little bit before that persecution started. Um, in 64, AD 64, um, Peter ends up being martyred um, in Rome between AD 64 and 67 during the persecution of Nero. So Peter wrote this before the onset of that persecution. To whom is it written? First Peter was written to a group of churches, as we can see in the introduction, which were scattered through the regions that made up the Roman providences of northwestern Asia Minor, which meant mean nothing to you, but is modern-day Turkey today. So just think of that area, modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was a group of um, regions, provinces that uh, were part of the Roman Empire, Emperor, Empire. 
These believers were mainly Gentiles who had converted to Christianity. And it was written to these believers were undergoing suffering and persecution, um, experiencing suffering. And so we'll see that as one of the major themes of the book. Why was first Peter written? Why did Peter write this? Um, he wrote really to encourage believers to endure suffering, reminding them of the living hope they have in Jesus Christ. That might be a good thesis statement for the book. He writes to encourage believers to endure suffering, <coughs> reminding them of the living hope they have in Christ. Okay, so that's some general background context to the book. What I'd like to do now is to read First Peter. Um, as we did with Colossians, I think it's really helpful to receive God's word, these letters, as it was received in the early church, which was through an oral reading. Um, a messenger, as we see in the book, would go to each of the churches and read it. And so we are going to read it together this morning. You'll notice in our study, yeah, please pull out your Bible, um, or you'll notice in your study that uh, she part of she has us reading First Peter, the whole of it, every week. So day one um, in our study is to read First Peter, the whole thing. Um, I would highly encourage you to do this. Don't skip this step. Uh, my preparation for the introduction was just to keep reading it over and over. And we tend to study scripture in these snippets, right? We kind of take this passage or this verse. But there's something about reading it all together, reading the whole thing that helps us understand the parts themselves, but also the connections, the main themes that are going on. Um, it really gives us a greater understanding. And not only that, but it helps root God's word in our heart. Every week, we will read this nine times. And it will help, these words will begin to sink in. Our favorite verses will kind of begin getting rooted. We'll get the, the fuller picture of it. Um, so I really think it is a helpful way to take in God's word that um, I haven't actually done in a study before, but I am going to try it. And so I encourage you all to um, put that as part of your practice weekly. And friends, it only takes 15 minutes. As you will see, it does not take that long. Also, um, we are going to send out a link to a, a place, a website where you can listen to scripture. So you can maybe play it in your car. Uh, Carmen's been doing this and she mentioned that to me. So we'll send out a link. If you can't sit down and read it, at least weekly listen to it, the whole of the book. Hopefully in one sitting. There's something about kind of hearing it all together. Um, so I want to encourage you to do that. And to start us in that, we're going to read it together. In your book, there is in the appendix the full text written out. So you can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along in the, um, in your appendix. Either way, I would encourage you to kind of, as we read through, underline, um, circle things that seem important. I want you to listen for a couple things as I read. What do you notice? What stands out to you as I read this book? What themes or repeated words um, do you hear? Often repeated words are the theme. <laughs> so what themes or repeated words do you hear? And what questions arise? Um, there are index cards on your table that after I read, we're going to sit down and write out those questions. I'm going to give you a few minutes to kind of 
think through it a little bit more. Um, and then we're going to kind of discuss it. But listen for those things as we read and just let this, the whole of this book wash over you this morning. The first letter of Peter. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Binthia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. 
having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love and sisterly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for God's, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin or are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women, woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit, speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring to us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. Therefore, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to these, this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. 
The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you as my fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, let's take a deep breath. Um, so we're going to spend some time, uh, as I mentioned, note cards on your table, feel free to grab one, 
And uh, I'd like you to spend a little bit of time um, thinking about these questions. What did you notice? What stood out to you as you listened? And you can kind of write that down and then write your responses. What did you notice? What stood out to you as you listened? What themes, repeated words, did you notice? What themes or repeated words did you notice? And finally, what questions do you have as we begin the study of 1 Peter? I have some questions. <laughs> some places in that text. So um, spend a little time, go back through the text if you want, um, kind of jot down your ideas, and then we're going to spend about um, maybe 10, 15 minutes in our table groups just kind of sharing what we're thinking about it. I want to get this um these ideas percolating in your brain before I offer some of my own thoughts about the themes um, as we start. So, go to it. I hope that was helpful. I found it really helpful in my group to discuss this with others as we kind of dive in. You don't need to just hear me talk up here. I wanted to get us talking about this book um, and what kind of rose to the surface for you as you've read it, maybe for the first time, heard it, um, or have been kind of already reading over it a bit. Um, I was thinking of having y'all share, but maybe we'll just allow that to be your space <laughs> to kind of sit with what you shared. Um, I wrote down notes from what other people said. It was really helpful. I think it's so helpful to just kind of have a general reading and then just kind of talking about what, 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 what does this say? What do you notice? Um, God's spirit is in each of us, um, illumining things, and it's so great when we get together and kind of share that. I'm going to end with just offering a few reflections on what I saw as kind of some primary themes. Um, so we don't live under direct persecution and suffering for our faith, for the most part, most of us here, although many Christians around the world do, and even um, in our country, but... The tension uh, that the believers that Paul was writing to experienced and the tension that we experience today are very similar. How do we live faithfully in the world of our culture? For them, it was Rome. But in our culture, how do we live faithfully in that world and also as members of the kingdom of God when those two worlds are so radically different from each other? in outlook, in allegiance, in rule? How do we live faithfully in the world of our culture and also as members of the kingdom of God when those two worlds are so radically different? I feel like that's one of the main questions Peter is trying to explore here in this book. And in doing so, I want to um, highlight a few themes on this that I think he answers and addresses as he goes along. Um, first, exile. This is a word that um, popped up for me. It was listed several times um, in the opening words to his letter in um, in one one. He calls them elect exiles, and then in one seventeen he exhorts them to conduct themselves with fear throughout the time of their exile. And then again in two eleven he urges them as sojourners and exiles. Though we live in this world, we do not belong to it. And we often feel that we are strange and strangers in this world as we travel through it. 
In a world that behaves and operates and believes in certain ways, Peter kind of gives a list of this in 411 um, and other places talking about the ways that you used to, to live and behave. Um, and he sums it up as a flood of debauchery in 411. Um, in a world that behaves in a certain way, we are called to have our identity and life shaped by Christ as his people and pattern our life after his life. So he reminds us that because we belong to Christ, our lives will and should look different than the world around us. And that will have an impact on us. And so that leads into our next theme of suffering. The theme of suffering is throughout this book. Suffer or suffering is mentioned 16 times, Carmen. <laughs> Carmen asked that question in our group. I wonder how many times that word is mentioned. 16 times in five chapters. Um, referring to either our suffering or Christ's suffering throughout the book. And First Peter makes it clear that suffering is a part of the Christian life and directs us to Christ, to the life of Christ as our example, who suffered for us. Um, in several places in chapter 2 and then later I think in 3 or 4. Um, and this suffering, I think in particular in the context of First Peter in the early churches, there was actual opposition, um, persecution. They were on the right on the cusp of experiencing some extreme persecution. Um, but also just suffering. We might not experience that kind of persecution per se for our faith, physical suffering, but just um, the ways in which our mode of operating in the world brings suffering or just the suffering we experience because um, this world is broken and we are trying to live as God's people and we don't just go along with the ways of this world. Suffering, Peter makes the point that suffering will mark our way in the world. It did for Christ and it will for us. Someone noted in our group that like... It made them realize hearing this book that like we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer and we kind of want to avoid it um, or think maybe something's wrong if we are. But it's it's a mark of being Christians in this world is that suffering will be a part of it Um, in light of the suffering that will inevitably be a part of our experience here as aliens and exiles in this world. Peter points us to what I think is another theme, and that is the living hope we have in Christ. Um, our study is titled First Peter, A Living Hope in Christ. Um, I think First uh, Peter 1, 3 through 5 could sort of be a theme verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. First Peter reminds us that we can endure all things because our salvation is in Christ. And this salvation will one day be revealed in all its fullness when Christ comes again in glory. We think of our salvation as like, uh, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm saved. But our salvation is not complete. There's not the fullness of Christ coming and making all things well. The consummation of making the world right. That is the fullness of salvation being completed. And that is what we are awaiting. And that is the living hope we have in Christ. 
So just as Christ suffered, we will suffer. But also as Christ entered his glory, we will also enter into the glory of Christ. That is our hope, our living hope that we hold to. And I feel like Peter highlights that throughout this as he talks about Christians living as aliens and suffering, that we have a hope, we have a future. Someone else in our group mentioned this like future perspective to the long view of things that hold us in a place of being faithful and able to follow Christ. Finally, one more theme um, is just the Christian life. Peter addresses um, Christian, the Christian life. Grounded in our salvation in Jesus Christ, um, Peter calls us to a particular way of being, of living. One of hope, one of holiness. That theme of holiness is pretty big here that we'll explore. Fear before God, love, um, humility. Peter deals with... Um, Social and personal relationships from how to view and treat civil authorities in chapter 2 to the relationship between wives and husbands in chapter 3 to how to interact with fellow believers in chapter 4. Now, there are some hard-to-understand passages in here, I think, (laughs) um, that we're going to have to wrestle with, like the passage to slaves. We're going to kind of have to wrestle through um, how to understand and um, incorporate that into um, into our life and understanding. Uh, and to be honest, I cringed a bit at the passage to the wives. Um, I do not call my husband Derek Lord. Um, so, so there are aspects, and we got to understand that there's cultural things about this. But there are um, there's a lot to explore here about Christian living. Both how to incorporate what uh, Peter is saying, but also how to understand. For instance, when do we submit to authority and when do we respond with courageous, countercultural Christian action? So these are things we're going to have to hold and wrestle with. And we hope this will be a place of um, discussion and conversation for these issues so that we can live more faithfully as Christ's people. I think First Peter ultimately reminds us that we are people living in, in and between two worlds. And we will often be misunderstood, dismissed, maybe maligned, or even persecuted by a world that does not understand and opposes those who identify themselves with Christ and his rule. We will feel out of place, and that is because we are. But we are called to be faithful, courageous and bold in our beliefs, while also being kind and respectful to live good and holy lives patterned after the life of Christ. People who love and demonstrate humility and above all to cling to the hope, the living hope we have in Jesus Christ. So, I think we're ready to begin. A few notes about the study There is no snack-on-the-go section, I'm sorry to say. I know many of us really appreciated that in our last study. If nothing else, I would encourage you as sort of a snack-on-the-go strategy um, for this study. If you don't feel like you can get to the day-to-day work in here, I would encourage you to just, one, try to read 1 Peter every week or listen to it, the whole of it. Um, And one thing I wanted to mention that occurred to me when I sat down to write down the things that I noticed Um, I wrote down my favorite verses, the verses that I kind of, the things, the verses that I really, that stood out to me 
Um, and I kind of wrote those down on my card. And I'm curious to see how that changes as I study First Peter. So that might be something to do each week. What verse is kind of being highlighted for you? And if you want to keep an index card and kind of write that down or write it in the notes in your book. Um, but if you can, just keep reading the whole of First Peter every week. And then each day is a short section to, um, to study. I would encourage you to just to read that for the day. And if you can't get to her questions, I'm going to offer you two to sit with. What does this say about God? And is there something in particular that speaks to me? That could be encourage, instruct, maybe convict, exhort. Is there something in particular that speaks to me in this passage? So if you can't get to all the questions, read the passage for that day. Some of them are only a couple verses. What does this say about God? And is there something in particular that speaks to me? The thing I do like about this study is that the day-to-day studies are fairly short. They are usually two pages. Like, let me find one here that I can show. Well, day three, one, two, that's it. Um, some, a few are three, but it seems to be a little shorter. I have felt overwhelmed by the number of questions in the day-to-day studies that we've done over the years. Um, hopefully, I think this looks... I don't know. I haven't looked at all the questions, but it's a shorter number of questions, and hopefully it'll make it feel more accessible. Uh, This study basically follows a sort of comprehension, interpretation, application format, which we are familiar with. Uh, That's explained on pages 6 and 7 in your study guide. Basically, we'll look at the following questions. What does it say? What does it mean? How should it change me? Right, transformation question. What does it say? What does it mean? How should it change me or transform me? Um, we're kind of used to this format, um, and that is used again in this. There is a video to the study. We are not doing it. I hope that's okay. Uh, Donna, Bev, and Carmen, and I will still be your teachers, and hopefully that's okay with y'all. Um, There is a section for group discussion at the end of every week that the leaders, small group leaders you can use, uh, don't feel tied to it. It's there to help guide you in your study. Questions? Are there any questions? Um, I counted it. We have 13 weeks uh, leading up. We finish our study before Monday, Thursday. So the last three weeks of women's Bible study will be Monday, Thursday, spring break, and then the brunch. So we finish up our uh, first Peter study April 2nd. So 13 weeks, nine lessons, small group discussion, and kind of uh, solitude mornings, contemplative solitude mornings apart as part of that. Um, Hopefully it will give us a lot of space to sink deep into this book. Any questions? Okay, I'm going to close with reading 1 Peter 2, 9 over you, which is a very familiar passage um, or verse, um, which just seemed a beautiful way to end. So feel free to close your eyes or just receive this as your blessing. But you, sisters in Christ, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let us walk in the light of God's word and our worship and fellowship together in this study. Amen.